The Rocks to Roots podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Speak Spokane is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, and on their website at speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. And thanks for listening to Rocks to Roots, conservation conversations from the backyard to the back 40, presented by the Spokane Conservation District. I'm Hillary, your host, and this is episode two of season two. If you haven't already, make sure and leave us some feedback in the reviews section. We'd love to hear how you're liking the topics we've chosen so far. Rocks to Roots is available on all major podcast platforms and on our website, rockstoroots.org. Today, we are joined by Sean Alexander, the Northeast Area Extension Forester for the WSU Extension. Thanks for being here, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Hillary. Yeah. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Spokane or? So, I was actually born in the Tri-Cities. Oh, so okay. I am an Eastern Washington person, but I am not a Northeastern native. Um, I do have family, though. So, my stepfather's family is from uh, Spokane Valley. So we did come up here quite a bit to see their farm down in the valley. And so I'm, I'm not completely new, but I'm not from the area now. Okay. So when did you move um, up to this area from Tri-Cities? Well, uh, after the Tri-Cities, I went to WSU, actually. Oh, um, awesome. Pursued two majors there. Uh, and then at the end of that time, I decided to stay on and complete a master's degree. Um, so completed the master's degree last May and then moved up to Colville, where I live now. Very cool. And what were those degrees? So I have, a, I have a degree in wildlife conservation sciences, and I have a degree in forestry and forest management. Uh, and then I have a, a, a minor in what's called geographical information systems. So it's kind of the, the new age cartography and mapping. And what is cartography, I have to ask? Uh, ra- developing maps. So okay. yeah, like Lewis and Clark, when they were, you know, on their ship coming to the West, they were pretty much writing detailed things so they could come back and draw maps. And there were other cartographers who are much more famous than them, but they're just the first people that come to mind. Awesome. And so what, okay, well, being a WSU alumni, um, I'm sure the extension was, you know, high on your list for maybe getting in there, but is that what led you to work for WSU extension or how'd you get involved? Well, you know, actually WSU extension forestry, I've always known about extension. My mother was actually a master gardener. I'm um, part oh, of their program. Awesome. Yeah. And um, the extension program has been, you know, rebuilding for the forestry department. We uh, a couple, well, about 10, 15 years ago, this, the Washington State Legislature mandated that WSU rebuild their forestry program. So WSU extension forestry has kind of been a thing for a while, but the school program was kind of rebuilding. So in my time there, there's been a lot of work and, you know, bringing new programs in. And so towards the end, we started to get more connected with extension forestry And then it just so happened that when I started to complete my master's degree, um, my boss, Andy Perleberg, ended up getting a grant from the Washington Department of Natural Resources, and they were able to refund the position that I'm in now. So everything just kind of lined up, and I knew I loved education, and I knew I loved forestry. So I I gave Andy a call, and, you know, now I'm sitting here. Great. And so how long have you been with the extension? So since May. Oh, okay. I guess, yeah, middle of May was when I first started. I was kind of dabbling a little bit beforehand, but I officially moved up and got things going in May. Okay, really cool. And so um, for those that might not be so familiar with the Extension Office, um, can you tell us a little bit about the Forestry Department and kind of what programs are being offered through mm-hmm. there? Yeah, so uh, I almost want to back up if, if people oh, yeah. aren't aware of what Extension is. Mm-hmm. I think there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, you know, we, we're like, oh, we're WSU. And they're like, oh, you teach college classes? 
Well, right. sometimes I might, but um, <laughs> no. Um, so a lot of people don't know that we're a land-grant university, or people know that, but um, we're a land-grant university. And so with that, most people know about education, you know, going to get your college degree. Um, there's also, so that's academia. We also have research as a primary focus of the institution. Um, but then we have a third kind of head of the hydra, and that's extension. And so when land grants, uh, when their constitutions were originally written, they wanted to be able to make sure that, you know, the money that's being brought in through taxpayer dollars was the information being generated was being brought back out to the community. And so the way they wanted to do that was by putting um, local professionals from the university in each county, similar to what the conservation districts do, um, so that they can be a conduit of information that's coming out of the university. Mm. Very cool. Um, and so then now getting a little bit more into specifically the forestry department, what are some of those programs that you guys facilitate over there? Yeah, so Extension Forestry is kind of, um, at least for northeastern Washington, is rebuilding. Um, I've only been in since COVID has begun. So it's been interesting to say the least, but uh, we offer, I guess I would say our primary class or our primary course or program that we offer is our coach planning Um it's really big. A lot of the like DNR knows that we do that and sees that as a really valuable resource. The conservation districts do. Uh, and that's we, we teach it about two to three times a year, at least in northeastern Washington uh, In western Washington. They've upped their game and they're doing it a lot more now. Um, but yeah, we'll get into I know we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, Definitely. When things really get going again, we like to do um, in-person field days. We've been doing them online, um, kind of adapting with videos and presentations. Um, but that's a great way to get people out in the field. Uh, and then we put on workshops. So we, you know, try to find skills or questions or issues that people are having. And we host an event where we can bring in a professional and connect, you know, local landowners with professionals that, you know, they can learn from them and, and learn about the resources that are available for them. Okay. And I know we keep saying Northeast area. What are what are kind of the boundaries of the Northeast area? Yeah. So if you, I mean, you'll see it on our website. We, I primarily cover um, Stevens County and Spokane are where my grant covers. Um, but typically, we'll also reach out to Ferry County, Ponderay County. You know, if somebody from Lincoln County were to call or Whitman County were to call, I would definitely try to help them. Um, and then my boss, he covers Okanagan and then the Eastern Cascades down, and then he'll cover the Southeast region. So anything South of the Soton and Adams and those counties. Okay, great. And so you, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on here is we do work, um, the Spokane Conservation District does work a lot with WSU Extension. So you, you do have a great relationship with all of those other conservation districts in the Northeast area. Um, and so I want to talk about some of these um, workshops that you actually have coming up. And I know that the first one is the Washington Forest Owners Winter School. So I want you to be able to tell us about that and what's going to be going on there. Yeah. So the winter school is pretty cool. We do, we try to do every year two field days. Um, this year, it's been, like I said, a little bit more difficult with COVID and doing it online. So this year, we will be doing the, the kind of inaugural winter school online event. Mm. Um, if we're looking at kind of the way we've done winter schools in the past, um, traditionally, we have our summer or kind of late summer, early fall uh, field day. And that's, you know, when the weather's still good, people get outside, and we do a lot of the, um, you know, the things that you wouldn't be able to learn until you're actually in the field. And then when winter comes, late, late winter, you know, early, early spring, really. Um, so it's usually about this time in February. Then we like to go indoors and we, we start to have conversations about things that, you know, maybe we can't necessarily show you in person, but now let's have a broader conversation. And, you know, there, I think I got a list here of the topics that we're doing. So, you know, things for Eastern Washington, like identifying weeds. Um, on all the noxious weeds in eastern Washington. And sometimes, you know, I can't take you to a property that has every single weed on it. So it's a little bit easier to have that conversation in person. Um, we're going to have things like managing big game habitat uh, and managing songbird habitat. So um, some wildlife stuff. I know we're going to talk about beavers. So that'll be a ton of fun. Um, we're going to talk about tree planting. Uh, obviously, every, there's, a, there's always a couple topics that people just love to hear, and there's so many people that are coming into our programs right now that haven't been there that we like to have repeat topics. Mm -hmm. And so one of those is wildfire protection. Um, and I know that the conservation district, that's um, Garth and Ben's, they, they do a, a lot of stuff with the, the FireWise program mm -hmm. and, and some of those um, issues. 
Um, but then we like to really get landowners involved. And so we're going to do one that's a conversation with working with consulting foresters. Um, we're going to have a conversation around timber markets, um, working with land trusts and easements and, and kind of the whole, you know, what do I do with my property later on? And, you know, how do I pass it to the next generation? Um, and then stories from the woods. People can come out and talk about, you know, what they're doing on their property. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we have one that's just called Tips and Tricks. And it's going to be, you know, what tool did you use that you found was really easy to get the job done? Very cool. Um, I love that story of the woods. It made me think of like extraterrestrial or whatever. I can't pronounce that. Extraterrestrial? Terrestrial. I can't say that word either. Sorry. <laughs> or, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> For that, some reason, my mind went there, but obviously that's not what it's going to be about. <laughs> so, um, Sean, so who typically attends these winter schools? Yeah. Um, so our target audience is what we call um, small forest landowners, SFLO. So I might use that. I know you guys get a lot of acronyms. Yeah, we oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so SFLO, and that's probably like the number one acronym we use in, in our field. And so it's actually, uh, it's a DNR term, uh, Washington Department of Natural Resources. Uh, and it really signifies anybody that has between five and 5,000 acres. Um, there's another term that's kind of loosely thrown around that's a similar meaning called non-industrial private forest owner. Um, but we don't really like that term because it's one, it's using this term non. It's like you're not something and nobody likes to be not something. Uh, and then also it, it throws around this idea of industrial. And even though we're saying you're not industrial, it's just it's it's kind of a. Yeah, you it know, makes your mind go like to something. Yeah. Just out, way big and out there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we like small forest landowners or family forests because oftentimes that's what it is. It's, you know, somebody went out and on the back 40, they, there are 10 acres in a dream is what we call it. Uh, and they, they, they bought their land or maybe, you know, it's a couple hundred acres and it's something that's been passed down from families. Uh, but a lot of these people are not um, forest managers per se. They have a day job. They just really love to live in the woods and they love to experience in the woods, uh, recreate. Maybe they just love conservation. Maybe they, you know, are just looking to have their own slice of, of heaven and protect it for the future. And so those are the people we're really trying to target. Mm. Awesome. Do you have a cap on how many people can um, do the winter school? No. Um, oh, awesome. I, I don't think they've capped it. There might be like an internal number, but I'm from the last number I've heard, we've almost got 600 people registered. Okay. To, to view it. Yeah. And is there a cost associated with it? So this one is going to be free. Um, yeah. Wow. Awesome. WSU with the whole online model has been really trying to make a, an affordable option for people because we recognize that right now a lot of people are probably in a financial hardship and with the reduced travel costs, it's making, and we've been able to bring in some other funding partners um, we've been able to bring that cost to people for free. Now that might change or will likely change when we actually go back to in-person because there's a lot more cost involved with doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but for now, yeah, the, this event will be free. Okay. And the dates? So it's going to be February 27th. And I think it starts at 9 a.m. And it's going to run till 3 p.m. If I remember correctly, but check our website for that information. Okay. And what is your website? So it's just forestry.wsu.edu. Pretty easy to remember. Awesome. Um, I also kind of want to get into, so who are some of the educators, like who, who's part of the lineup? Is it all just WSU Extension um, employees or you know, actually, where are you pulling them from? Well, it's kind of funny because in my job title, I'm actually called a coordinator. Um, <laughs> so as much as I like to think about myself as an educator, I'm also, and primarily when it comes to these big events, I'm bringing smarter people together. Um, and then I'm just coming up with the topics. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so no, we partner with a ton of people. I know we've got um, some people from the Spokane um, Community College talking. Uh, there's going to be, I mean, just our, our panels with the timber markets and the consulting foresters. Um, I know we're going to be partnering with Beavers Northwest for their conversation around the, the beaver habitat and, and um, conversation there. Uh, just And, you know, we work with different weed boards for the weed stuff. Uh, find entomologists with the Department of Natural Resources, uh, land grant, um, different land grant organizations we bring in and, and talk with them. So I, I did not manage all of the of the people, so I can't, you know, give you an extensive list, but yeah. we try to pretty much bring in everyone and anyone we can. That's awesome. For Beavers Northwest, do you know who is going to be there for it? 
You know, I... Um, so Alyssa was the one we reached out to. Alisa, she, it's Alisa. Uh, it's Alisa. Okay, sorry. she's it's my it's, that's my sister in law. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No way. yeah, no. She, I think she runs Beavers North. She does. Yeah, yeah. Beavers North Northwest. I have it right here on my laptop. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Anyways, yeah. So we, we reached out to her. Um, she gave it last year. The last uh, okay. last time the the class happened. That uh, winter school sounds great. So make sure you check out their website for more information about that. Um, and I also want to give you a chance to talk about the coached planning short course that you guys are also going to be offering. Yeah. So this is our really, really big course. I think this is what WSU extension is really known for. Um, we, like I said, I offer two a year. Um, I'm probably going to be going to three a year and one of those is going to be an online model. Um, and the reason that we're doing that is because with the, with the coach planning classes that we've started going to online, what we're finding is that we're actually reaching um, absentee landowners over on the west side. We had about 80% of our landowners did not actually live on the property that they owned and they were writing a plan for, which is actually a really big issue for a lot of small forest landowners in our area. I think it was some crazy statistic, but like 40 to 50% of the parcels that are small forest landowner owned I think that's how you would say that uh, or owned by, you know, private family forests were people that were not living actually on that property. Mm. And so there's kind of this big disconnect. Um, and so that's going to be a, a new thing for um, going forward for the future. But the class is um, broadly, it's focused on writing your own forest management plan. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, what is a forest pl management plan and why am I writing it? Um, and I would, I would probably start with the why first. Um, there is a couple programs out there, but generally what we have found in the forestry community and kind of the, the public engagement community is that when people write their own plans, one, they get really interested in, and connected to the work. But we find that um, with doing the work themselves, they actually kind of have this... Uh, you know, it's it's like when you saved up for your bike and at the very end you get to put your money towards it when you're a little kid and like all that hard work and all that time saved just like feels so good when you finally get to put it down on that bike. And it's the same thing with writing forest management plans. There's kind of this buy-in and commitment. And when at the end you get to it, we find that people actually start to implement some of the, the best management practices or some of the um, strategies that we've talked about in their class. So um, what is a plan? Well, it's really whatever you want it to be. And that's kind of the cool thing is we are not, you know, I was listening to another podcast um, that you had done and I think it was your boss, Vicky. Yeah. Uh, and she was talking about one of the number one misconceptions that she wanted to get out about um, conservation districts. Mm -hmm. And before she even said it, I was like, she wants to talk about the regulatory thing I was like, <laughs> because CDs aren't regulatory. Mm -hmm. Well, WSU extension is in the same thing. We are not regulatory. We are education. And so you come to us and you own forest land and you want to learn about what you can do on your forest. That's our goal. So our goal is to help you figure out what your goals are mm -hmm. to plan for those and find out the best way uh, to execute those plans. Uh, and so that's really what this is all about. Um, so there's a couple things that it, it kind of plays into. Um, we, it, I don't know how much you know, but there is a, a tax classification that the state uh, Department of Revenue allows each county to um, facilitate, and it's called the Designated Forest Land Tax Class Classification. So it pretty much just means that if you own a forested area and you want to manage that for timber, then we will put your, um, that, parcel or that acre into this classification, which has a reduced cost. Mm. So the state originally did it with the hopes that um, what it would do is, is it would get people to actively begin to harvest um, uh, timber off their forest and it would get that timber into the economy and it would turn around and get taxes in the economy moving instead of just um, taxes through the estate. And also it reduces your, your cost of owning the land. So now you have uh, a benefit or, you know, kind of an incentive to want to spend some of that money on your forest mm -hmm, and actually right. improve it. Okay. Um, so in order to do that, you do have to have a plan for your forest. So our, our guidance or the plan that you would write through our class can be approved for that. Um, but then there are other programs too. So we, um, we partner a lot. I know we're going to talk about this more with the Washington Department of Natural Resources, and they have a program called the um, Washington Forest Stewardship um, mm -hmm. it's, right. it's pretty much a, 
it's really just a title. Um, there's not, you don't really get anything from it, but you kind of, you get to put a placard on your, on your property and you say, you know, I work really hard to be a, a steward of this land mm-hmm. uh, and do the best I can for it. And so they work with us and we've written guidelines on what those plans look like. So you'd, you would need a plan for that. Um, and then other programs like the American Tree Farm Association, which has a Washington chapter, the Washington Tree Farm Association. And uh, they have guidelines on um, best management practices and sustainable harvest um, requirements. And so they also require a plan. And a lot of that is kind of a stamp that you get to put on your property. And when you sell wood, those people that are buying your wood can say, the wood here was managed sustainably. Nice, yeah. Uh, and that's, awesome. yeah, that's really cool. And that, and that is just another perk that landowners, you know, get to have when they, when they write their plan. But generally, I mean, I can sit and list all these benefits that you get from it. Mm-hmm. But I would like to say that most people are just writing these plans because they generally want to learn about their forest. They're mm-hmm. just intrigued. And, and there's more and more people that are coming to buy, um, buy property. And this is a great avenue for them to learn about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and not to mention just all of the resources and connections that you're going to make through this course is yeah. just tremendous. I mean, you probably, yeah, you wouldn't find it anywhere else. Yeah. So I have to ask, what would you say is like the most crucial part of a forest plan? Oh, that's a hard question. Uh, the most crucial part. I mean, I, I think the question kind of implies that there is something that needs to be included. And we have, Mm -hmm. we have things that, you know, like check boxes you have to go through, but I don't want to tie down any one landowner to think that, you know, there's something that they have to have. But if I were to answer it, I would say that probably the the hardest thing that most people um, have to do, but it's probably the most important is getting a forest inventory. Okay. Um, so it's it's pretty much finding out what's the condition of my forest. Um, how many trees do I have? What type of trees do I have? How big are my trees? You know, and and across all of those, how big are each of those you know groups? Do I have a lot of little trees? Do I have a lot of big trees? What's the health of my trees? Um, you know, and and kind of all these little things. And so there are some. Um, practices that we teach in the class, um, mm-hmm. some, some skills or ways to go out and collect that, that information. And it can be time consuming, um, but it, it's, you know, it's a really good way to paint a picture of a forest for somebody who maybe doesn't, isn't able to visit your forest. But also it's a, it's a really good way to now think, okay, I have some numbers. How do those numbers relate to other things like my habitat or, you know, my understory forage if you're going for a wildlife habitat? Okay. This might be a silly question, but what qualifies someone as a forest landowner? Is it the area, the size, the, I'm I'm just, I'm not quite familiar, so. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's actually a really good question. So I'm writing a chapter right now with my Southwest counterpart, counterpart for the Master Gardeners, and we're writing Backyard Forestry. That's the, the chapter we're writing. And so we started talking with some of the, um, the people in Master Gardeners, and we're asking them, well, you know, wh- where does the backyard forest end and the back 40 begin? Mm-hmm. And and that's a it's a hard question because there really isn't a line. Like if you own a couple trees, are you a, do you own a forest? Yeah. Um, or do you need a minimum? And I don't think there's really a right answer. The best thing I could point you to would be to DNR's qual- um, classification with small forest landowner. And they kind of draw the line at five acres, uh, which is okay. in line with the um, the designated forest land, which is also they draw the line at five acres. So anything under five acres, you wouldn't be able to apply for those programs. And that's when we start to pretty much call it the, you know, your, your backyard. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, good. I'm glad I asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what's the date for uh, this course? Yeah. So this one's going to begin March 29th. Um, with the online model, we're kind of changing things up. Originally, it used to be one day a week. We've decided with, you know, everyone gets the, the Zoom burnout mm-hmm. um, and the, the classes are long and they're late. So I'm going to be doing shorter classes, but they're going to be two nights a week. Um, and we're going to, it kind of helps us squeeze in some more information actually, um, but hopefully it doesn't burn everybody out in a three and a half hour long lecture. 
Okay. And is it still kind of the same lineup of educators for this course as well? Yes. Like the ones that you mentioned for the winter school? Yep. Yep. Very similar, but it's a lot more in depth. So, you know, we're going to have like Ken Bevis from the Washington Department of Wildlife, the biologist. He always comes. He always gives his snag presentation. Um, We talk about, you know, tree management, early forest reforestation and early forest management, silviculture, um, learning about your soils water, how to create recreational trails. Um, you know, uh, one of the topics I have, we, we don't need to get into it now, but I, I have some really kind of interesting information that was pulled out of a study. Uh, and right now, one of the number one topics that small forest landowners want to learn more about is succession planning. It's, you know, mm, I'm 60 yeah. years old, I own property, and, you know, I'm managing it for the next 30, 40 years of my life. What do I do at the end of 30, 40 years? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I have an heir, maybe I don't have an heir. Um, and, and that's a really, really hard conversation to have. And I think, you know, quietly nobody says anything. But then, you know, within when, when you're in your house, you're like, it's, it's a thought that's happening. And so we're trying to, like, break down that stigma mm-hmm. and begin that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, out of all of these topics and subjects, um, what is one that's really the most interesting to you personally. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I call, you know, my, my title is I'm a forester. Uh Um, and I think when you say that it, there's like this implied nature that I go out and I manage trees for timber. Um, and while I think that's an aspect of my job, it's not my job entirely. Uh, so I got my degree in natural resource management. And so I tend to think of myself more as an ecologist than a forester over anything else. So I love the intersection of um, wildlife habitat, forest management, and, you know, kind of this balance of the native flora and fauna. Um, So for me, you know, one of my favorite conversations is Ken talks about, I don't know if you've ever heard his acronym SLOPS. I don't know. I haven't. (laughs) So it's a great, it's a great acronym. I I didn't even know it when I was doing my master's, Um, but it stands for snags, logs, legacies, openings, patches, piles, and shrubs. So what it is, is it's a method of managing or creating what a forest should look like in a dry forest habitat. Because right now, the, the biggest issue that faces Washington, and one of the reasons that we're seeing these, these larger and larger wildfires, is that so much of our landscape actually hasn't had fire on it in the last 100 and 120 years. Um, there was, it's in about the ninth, so we, in 1910, we had this big, massive fire, the big burn that came through, uh, and it burned more than 3 million acres across, uh, Northeastern Washington, the panhandle of Idaho into Montana, just massive, horrible, devastated towns, uh, l- tons of lives lost. And, and it really was like a, a flip of the switch for the, for, um, you know, the nation in terms of forest management. And immediately we installed policies like the 10 a.m. policy that every fire was going to be out by 10 a.m. the next day. Um, And it was just exclusion. It was stop fire on the landscape no matter what. And and so there was kind of this building within that over the the next 60 years, there was this growth of idea that fire is this horrible tool. Except for right around this time, and even even when they were initiating these policies, there were some quiet dissenters. And they started to look, they started to do, I know you've had this term on your episode, dendrochronology, yep. dendrology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the study of tree rings. Um, and so they started looking at tree rings and they started going back to trees that were 700 years old. And they looked and they said, oh, what, what's this? We, we, there's, there was a fire and there was a fire here and there was a fire every five to 15 years. And so when that starts to occur, what did the forest look like when there was fires five to every 15 years? Or, you know, up, up here, we probably, it was, because of how moist it was and how cold it gets, um, fire was probably a little bit of a longer interval. And because we have more um, montane terrain here, um, there's more variable ecosystems. And so that is going to vary a lot more. So it's going to be anywhere from probably five to if you get up into your more subalpine ecosystems, several hundred years that we wouldn't have seen fire through there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those kind of that, the dry, low elevation systems, we, we like to create diversity because diversity yep. is, is important in habitat. Mm-hmm. It's important for wildlife. It's important for trees. Um, and so Ken has created a great way to um, 
convey that message to landowners. Very cool. And um, what about a cost for this um, this course? Yeah, so this one's going to be sixty dollars, uh, okay. and that covers. Uh, we do a site visit for every landowner. We try to connect them either. I'll do the site visit. Um, Rob Lionberger, who is the northeastern, or I think he's actually all of eastern Washington, small forest landowner. To, um, I don't want to call him a technician. He's he's the, the, the big guy for eastern Washington for the small forest landowner office. Um, and one of us, or we'll connect you with another DNR forester, or maybe a conservation district forester, mm-hmm. and we'll meet with you. And we're going to pretty much go through your entire plan. Um, we're going to talk about all the forest health issues may, you may have on your property. Similar to what Garth and Ben do, we're going to do fire-wise assessments for your property. Uh, what's your fire risk here? Um, you, we're going to talk about harvesting if you want to harvest. And this is where we'll also teach you how to do the forest inventory stuff. Um, we're going to give you some tools in the class. Uh, there's ways to measure tree height, tree diameter, um, we can get some assessments of, of, there's some tools to get some numbers on your forest. I won't go too, too deep into that. Um, and then also this covers, we're going to send out a flash drive with a whole bunch of literature and learning material on it and kind of some self-guided assignments. Wow. And so we'll put that together and that kind of covers the cost. Wow. Well, it sounds like a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah. Yeah. Very we, cool. we, in our surveys from our last class, we actually asked the question, if you were to value this class, what would you value it at? Mm-hmm. And like half the people say it's invaluable. And the other half, it ranges anywhere from 500 and one person or up to 10,000. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the value in terms of intrinsically what you get, sometimes you can't put a number on it, but people see that this class is definitely offering more than what we're really just asking for. Very cool. And obviously, all of the information and registration is all up on your website. And I want you to say it one more time. So that's going to be forestry.wsu.edu. Awesome. Yeah. And you'll just click. You'll you'll go on the page and you'll see Northeastern Washington. Just give that a click and you should find the registration information in there. Very cool. So we've talked about um, forest landowners. And I kind of want to um, jump over and talk about whether or not you guys do any technical assistance for just Spokane County residents. Yeah, that one's um, a little bit tricky. Okay. Because, you know, so we do offer technical assistance. I would say that it's not our primary role. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually our technical assistance comes through our coach planning class. Okay. Um, But the reason that I say that is because the forestry community is actually really big. Um, you know, especially for Spokane, you have um, you have Garth and Ben who can offer technical assistance for you. You have um, Rob Lionberger and Guy Gifford who can offer technical assistance for you. Um, then you have within DNR, you also have the whole landowner assistance office and they can all come and help and offer assistance for you if you have questions. Um, you have programs like the Washington Farm Forestry. They will come out and help you if you have questions. So there is a ton of resources here, and we didn't want to, you know, overstep our bounds. And that's just the public. So then you start to look at consulting foresters who, you know, they have they play a very important role in the forestry kind of network of working people. And, and they will come out to your property if you ask them and offer assistance in certain ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we wanted to be careful, but if you have a question always email me. I mean, oh, so, and I'm going to say it. My name, my email is sean.alexander at wsu.edu. Send me an email, send me pictures of whatever tree you have dying. <laughs> if I don't know what it is, then we'll connect you with the entomologist for Eastern Washington. We're going to figure it out. Um, you know, people always love to call about habitat ideas. You know, maybe if you have a question about permitting applications, we can either try to answer it or connect you with the, I know the CDs do a lot with permitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of my role. My role is education and connecting people with resources. So while I want to offer the assistance, my assistance is connecting people with the right assistance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I know. And then when in doubt, it's always good to just pick up the phone or shoot over that yeah. email to one yeah. of these entities, because if we don't know it, we definitely know who will have the answer for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, if people call me all the time and we end up just you know, talking forever. And, yeah. And it, it, sometimes I feel like I might lose time just talking to landowners because they've got so <laughs> many questions and it's, and I love answering the questions. And the next thing I know, it's two hours later. <laughs> it's so true. Yep. I always have, every time I see Garth and Ben in their offices, they are usually on the phone with a landowner for a, a couple hours or so. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
Oh, did you have a question? Well, I was going to ask a question about small forest landowners, like in your area, like how many people are in your area that own land? Like, is it, is that something that you know? Yeah, actually, that was all the statistics that I brought. So oh, okay, perfect. I'm so glad you the perfect way. I uh, So the University of Washington actually just did this um, huge assessment. They did one in 2007, mm. and they did another one in 2019, and they published the data. I got the report like two weeks ago, so mm. oh, couldn't wow. have been better timed. Wow. So I'll just kind of like go through some of the information here. So for Spokane County, Spokane County ranks in Washington, of all the counties, ranks number two in small forest landowner parcels. Oh. There are 18,000 parcels in Spokane County. They also rank number two in terms of forested acres owned by small forest landowners. That's 191,000. So that's in oh. all of Washington counties. And that's competing with like West Side, where you have rainforests over there. So you, mm-hmm. you yeah. it's very counterintuitive. But huh. we have a lot of people that come out here and buy their little chunks of land and, and go off and you know, live quietly in their, in their own area. So Stevens County, Stevens County ranks number three, right behind Spokane in parcels, 17,800, but ranks number one in forested acres. Mm. And so, like I said, Spokane was 191,000. Stevens County is 503,000 acres owned by small forest landowners. So it's pretty incredible how much of an impact, you know, that we're having as a public. And there's all these resources, you know, like if we look at uh, an industrial company, you know, we know where they're getting their money from. They're they're growing timber. They're selling the timber. They can use that revenue. They can put it back into land. And it's kind of this cycle. Mm -hmm. The state, you know, they're getting money through. uh, They so they do sell timber, but their goal is not to make. Like if if they're making money on that, it's going back into the state coffers. You know, they're funding school school buildings. They're funding a lot of educational practices. And so taxes are a big one. And and right now, I don't know if you know, I I can't remember the exact number of the bill, but the House bill that Hillary put forward is in. um, And that's one way that they get a lot of money. And so how do small forest landowners get money? And it's Mm -hmm. a really hard question to ask Mm -hmm. because the cost of owning a forest is actually not very cheap. It is, it, it can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we um, try to find programs for them and make programs for them. But, you know, it's interesting, this question, I'm going to kind of go off the, the sidelines here and take this one. Go for it. Um, so in Washington state, 40% of forests are privately owned. Mm-hmm. And so but that also includes companies like Weyerhaeuser, um, Boise Cascade, Vaughan, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone that's not either a, like state or federal agency or tribal. Mm-hmm. Of that 40%, 36% of that is owned by small forest landowners. So it's it's a, a large portion of the state forests are owned just by individual people like you and me. Oh my gosh. Just families. I yeah. no idea. That's crazy. In Spokane, 81% of private, private forests are small forest landowners. Wow. So, I mean, proportionately, we have a huge impact on our forest lands and we mm-hmm. need to make sure that we're helping those people. Stevens County is 62%. So, and now I'm going to kind of get to some sad information. And this is, you know, what I want to highlight a little bit. Mm -hmm. So forested acres in Washington have declined in the last 15 years by 400,000 acres. So that's things including like uh, residential buyouts, Mm -hmm. um, wildfires coming through, Mm -hmm. um, just conversion towards maybe it's somebody's converting into agriculture or, you know, whatever it is, you know, or just disease. Disease is a huge one that we mm-hmm. see a loss of forest to. Um, a total of 110,000 acres, uh, or acre reduction in small forest landowners. So uh, I was saying there was a 400,000 acres lost in of all forests in Washington, regardless of ownership. 110,000 of that is small forest landowners. Wow. Wow. But the thing is, is... There have been more for, uh, 17,000 more forest landowners that have purchased property. So more people are buying land, but less land is becoming available. Mm, and so, so la- yeah, what's happening is all these 40-acre parcels, 100-acre parcels are being split apart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's awesome because it's offering an opportunity for more people. But it's, and there's more people that we need to be you know, bringing into our program. Mm-hmm. But, but now, you know a lot of those parcels are being sold off to the apartment complex that wants to build mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, whatever the next industrial business that wants to put their thing there. And sadly that's lost forest land, which is, you know, really important habitat. Mm-hmm. And then we start to look at some of the demographics. 
uh, extremely large disparity in youth. Youth are not coming out to the to buy property. Um, there's high upticks in recreation, but sadly, there's a, a a big leap between actual ownership and and recreation. And also, we, there's a, a huge disparity in non-white ownership. Um, we are struggling with trying to get um, you know black community, Hispanic community, Native mm-hmm. American communities, and other communities out there other than just um, the, the white population. Mm-hmm. You know, and I. I, it's been a question for me on my mind recently over the last year, especially is just how do we encourage that? And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a really difficult question. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah, I, you know, I, that was kind of the statistics there, but it, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. Of those landowners, like how many take part in your, in your uh, events and like actually ha- come up with plans for their forests. Like, I mean, it, I imagine it's probably a pretty small percentage. Not as much as we'd like. Um, and you know, that's, it's, I, I probably couldn't give you the best answer. Mm-hmm. I would almost have to call up the department on lands and see what their, the numbers of approved plans they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's even harder to do because we are not the only people who do plans. And so I, I guess kind of going back to one of your questions that you had, um, who's taking their class. So we, you know, our focus is, is we're going to pretty much assist you in writing your own plan. Mm. That is not the only way to get a plan done. Um, if you want, we, um, you can hire a consulting forester. You know, maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you just uh, aren't interested, but you own land. And you, your goal is, I want to do some sort of timber harvest on it. And I don't have the knowledge to do that. So you're going to hire a consulting forester and they can write you a plan. So it's kind of hard to capture every single yeah. person that, that may be a part of that. Um, but, you know, we we get a pretty good number of people. There's, you know, mailing lists uh, that we have. It has a couple thousand people on mm-hmm. it. Um, and it, and it's, it's even harder to capture, you know, who's staying in our program. So, like, if I were to use the, for, the winter school as a metric, um, you know, we have almost 600 people that are signed up, and it's still almost a month away we might hit a thousand people and that's incredible. That's mm-hmm. far beyond what we would ever capture. Um, but how many of those people are new and growing and how many of those are people that come to our programs all the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we try to do surveys to find that out, but um, yeah, there's, there's always more people that we can be capturing yeah. into our programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and just to kind of spin a positive on, some of those sad statistics. I mean, education and, you know, just reaching out in these resources is the best way that we can, um, you know, solve these issues. And I have to give Vicki a shout out. She always has a little tagline. It says, um, you know, pavement is permanent. And I think it's so true. And it's like, we are losing a significant amount of our natural lands. And, you know, I understand that, you know, housing is very important. Um, but it is kind of sad once we, you know, hear these numbers and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And, you know, wildfire is such a big one right now. And I yeah. think a lot of people, uh, the, the current trend is like, let's thin our properties and, and a lot of properties need it. But the thing I always want to tell people is remember, you can't glue a tree back to the stump. <laughs> so uh, true. And, and, it, and it's very hard because we, we try to use um, proper terms. And so we don't say like wildfire, um, prevention so we're trying to prevent it but we're not going to stop a wildfire mm-hmm. and and there's a huge that, that it's something i want people to know that you know when we come out we're trying to prepare you um but we also want to keep trees on your property and and you know with current trends of droughts over the last 20 years then you know we need to just accept that there's always going to be risk and risk involved in that and pavement sometimes <laughs> is the maybe the safest way but I don't think people want pavement. You know, right. we, our culture is coming back to, to nature and we're mm-hmm. really starting to explore it. And Oh, man, these lines right now at the national parks of people that are trying to escape their homes. They've been stuck inside all day. Nature's, uh, nature's coming back for a win. Yeah, Girl. I agree with that. That's, that's awesome. So um, we have two great, really great courses that you just talked about. Um, is there anything that might have we that maybe we missed on either of those that you want to make sure we touch on? On the individual courses, uh, the winter school or the coach planning short course? No, I don't. I don't think so. I, the only thing I would say maybe uh, the short course is already already halfway full. Oh, um, it is. Okay, yeah, and we only have ten more slots left. So 
uh, sign up now or you might be waiting until next fall. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. So um, I want to know what's on the horizon for the forestry department. Mm. You know, I so I was thinking about this question on the way down. <laughs> it's it's really hard with COVID. We mm -hmm. I, you know I came in and it was immediately transitioning to online material and. Anyone that is in nature realizes that you can't experience nature from a computer. You have mm -hmm. to be outdoors, yeah. and you have to you have to communicate with people. You're, you're you have to be in your community. You have to socialize with people to just experience nature. And and it's it's been kind of difficult. So I I don't really know exactly what's on the horizon for WSU. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that you know right now my program hasn't had somebody in it for about three years. And so there's been a lack of knowledge of WSU Extension Forestry in Northeastern Washington. So a lot of what's on the horizon for me is just getting the word out there. It's doing things like this, being on a podcast or, mm -hmm. you know, going to somebody's house and just shaking hands with them. And hopefully when COVID is over, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, but just uh, really building a relationship with the community. And so that's what's a lot of on my horizon. And mm -hmm. then learning how I, I mean, I adapted really fast to bringing things online, but it's almost, I got to learn how to do the old job that I never learned how to do. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, I think one thing I'm really, really excited about is we had a student of the class um, who sadly passed away this last year and her name was Connie Vetter. And before she passed away, she decided to donate her entire 160 acre property to WSU um, for learning experiences. Uh, and so we were able to get that all figured out. And there's about 40 acres of forest on there. And there's about another 120 acres of farm pasture land. Um, and we've partnered up with the Stevens County Conservation District. And they've um, taken over and are going to be leasing out the, the farmland. And then we're going to be working in the forest. So I've got a lot of ideas. Really, a lot of things right now, I got to be careful because everything's kind of still in that idea stage. So we don't really exactly know, um, but we're going to be, you know, we want to implement some silo pasture stuff, mm -hmm. um, looking at how we can kind of integrate cattle and livestock and, and ma forest management together. Um, there's going to be some sections where we manage for wildlife habitat. Um, and uh, the forest has a pretty bad issue right now with um, what's called armillaria root disease, um, and which can be a very, very difficult thing to manage through. So we're going to show some strategies on managing forests through that. Um, we're going to kind of prepare it as a climate resilient forest into the future, plant species that we think are going to be a little bit more adapted to drought conditions. Um, yeah, there's just all sorts of stuff on the horizon there. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is such a cool story. And I know that our um, de our staff members have gone up and visited the property mm -hmm. as well. And there might be talks of um, also assisting with that property. But what a cool thing that she did leave that so that it can be studied and that that land can be turned and it can be used in so many different ways yeah. for education and, you know, to get people on the ground out there learning, touching, seeing everything. It, it's a really, really cool yeah. story. Yeah. The opportunities are limitless there. And it, it's so, so actually on the property, there's um, the Williams Valley Cemetery, um, oh. the, the whole community cemetery was on her property. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because we have to build the trust of the community there. But I'm really excited because I also think that that's going to be an opportunity to show the community what WSU is doing uh, and kind of be a conduit between the two. Um, and, you know, this windstorm knocked a lot of things over. Mm. We were just going back through there and there's trees in the cemetery and we're hoping to get them cleaned up here soon. Um, and I'm so yeah, there, there's just a, there's a lot of possibilities and I'm very thankful for her. So if you, if you get the chance to ever visit the forest in the future, we do have a plaque up on our one old growth white pine tree for Connie. So make sure you check that tree out. That's super cool. All right. Well, um, we've just covered a lot of really, really good information and Sean, you've just been wonderful, um, letting us know about all of these great workshops and all of the resources that you guys have to offer. Um, I want to know what do you love the most about working for the WSU forestry extension? Oh man. I mean, there's, there's so many things, you know, so when I, um, when I, when I originally went to college, you know, I was probably like a lot of people that go to college and they have no idea what they want to do uh, and they, they have to figure it out. And I went in as a business major thinking that was going to be my, my big thing. 
within a semester realized that I was not meant for business. Um, ended up down the path of wildlife. And then when I was in wildlife, I really got into ecology. And then I got a chance to go to Yosemite and study and do research in Yosemite Valley. And that's kind of when I got into forestry. And it just like continued and continued. But when I was originally looking at degrees, one of the things that I thought of was, is I want to be a teacher. I want to teach something. And, and the one thing that held me back was I didn't know what I wanted to teach. Um, I, I didn't really have like a specialization. Uh, and so I didn't end up going down that route. But I'd always known that I was really good at communicating information, um, you know, bringing up an analogy or something, some way to, to get across the idea or concept to somebody. And, uh, and so it was just funny that, you know, my mom's always told me, she's like, you're going to be a teacher when you get older. And I was, and so I'm going down this path thinking I'm going to be a forester. And then sure enough, I get out of college, you know, even in college, I was a graduate teacher and then I get out and I'm still a teacher. I still get to instruct and educate landowners now. And so not only do I get to bring education into a degree, I get to do it with forestry, which is just the coolest degree ever uh, <laughs> or the coolest uh, topic ever. You know, we get to be, I get Every day that I'm out working with a landowner, I'm on vacation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and awesome. that was, yeah, I don't have to, I mean, I sit in an office more than I want to, but <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's so cool when you're out walking in the, the Huckleberry range or walking on the flowery trail and you're looking out over the Ponderay Valley and, mm-hmm. and the river and it's like, I'm getting paid to do this. What, you know, and, and I love it. I love every day of it. And so, and then you, then you start to take into the land, into account landowners, and they are so diverse. Uh, it's every day I meet somebody, you know, one person is a mechanical engineer and some other guy is an astrophysicist and, you know, someone else is a grocery store clerk or it's just all walks of life of people that are just wanting to connect with nature mm-hmm. and then, and then what they want to do. So I'm not doing one thing every day. I am on my feet, learning new things left and right, just trying to keep up with all the ideas that people have. You know, there's a family in North Spokane and they manage a white pine forest and every year, cause with white pine, you're supposed to prune it to help with a, a disease that we've seen um, through Uh, Idaho and the Pacific Northwest. And so they came up with this creative solution of thinning and turning the thinnings into wreaths. And it was just like, what a cool idea to take this, this byproduct that most people would see no value for would probably pile it and burn it. And they turn it into this beautiful Christmas ornament. Mm. Uh, And (laughs) it just blows my mind. And so every day with this job, my mind is constantly blown. That's probably one of the things I love the most. Awesome. That's so cool. Working with people and how creative people are is just fascinating. What are some of your favorite places to like that you would recommend people to explore that maybe might that they may not know about in northeastern Washington yeah. or anywhere? No, in northeastern Washington. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's kind of a hard one because I haven't been here super long, and then oh. with COVID, I've yeah, been sure. limiting my travel, trying to to keep that down. Um, so we, uh, we, I was working with the entomologist at DNR, and we're looking at um, western red cedar right now. We're seeing a kind of a really sad decline and an unknown reason. And so we drove up and over Sullivan Lake. Mm. And so you can actually take, there's a forest service road that goes up through Sullivan Lake over the, the first range of the Selkirks and mm. then into, actually, it, I think it might even go for a quick second to Idaho. Yeah. Um, and then you come down into the grove of the ancient cedars. Uh, and that place was really cool. It's an old growth cedar grove. Wow. Uh, and, you know, as with any old growth, you just stand in these trees that are hundreds of years old and there's just something that it puts you in your place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, cool. That was a cool one, yeah. yeah. But I, there's... Northeastern Washington, I kind of like it because unlike the Cascades where you have all of these, you know, magnificent hikes and mountains and volcanoes and, you know, everyone's yeah. got their top 10 list. Uh, Northeastern Washington is more of like a hidden gem mm-hmm. and everywhere is really beautiful and you kind of have to get lost to find it. Um, you know, and I remember driving up to Deep Lake up, up by Northport when the larches were turning and wow, it was, it was beautiful. That's Just awesome. seeing the hills of gold. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. 
Well, Sean, this has been an awesome interview, and we want to get to know you just a little bit more. So um, we like to do what we call a spitfire round at the end of our interviews. And are are you up for it? Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, cool. What is a food that you can't live without? Tacos. Oh, good answer. Mm. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite movie? I was debating this one on the way up. <laughs> it's either The Princess Bride Ooh. or Monty Python nice. and the Holy Grail. Oh, two really good ones. Those are classics. Um, favorite candy? Oh, um, We'll just say Reese's. That's my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my boyfriend's go-to, actually. <laughs> he likes to get those big packs from Costco yeah. and it I drives like to, me crazy. I like to freeze the little ones. Oh, then, yes. Oh, I need to try that. That's the trick. Um, what was your first car? Uh, my dad's Suzuki Swift. <laughs> there was nice. a little, uh, uh, five speed. Yeah. That thing was f- interesting. If you could learn any language fluently, what would it be? Um, I would say Spanish. I tried to learn it and couldn't quite get it done when I was younger, but I think I just love the Spanish culture um, and I would love to go um, to Mexico or anywhere in the Latin American areas. Um, and I just love tacos, too. So <laughs> Back to tacos. <laughs> it's almost lunchtime, too. It, so it is. Yeah. So. That doesn't help. Um, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would you choose? Aldo Leopold. Who is that? The godfather of conservation. Oh, um, so I, I, if you don't know, I can give a quick sentence. Yeah, I was like, I, um, Aldo, he, well, I guess the best way to say it, he wrote a book and he's had such an interesting life and I don't know a, t- a million things about him, but he wrote a book called the Sand County Almanac, which, um, was originally, it started as a, it was a 12 chapter each month was him writing about the month of the year that he was living in a cabin, I think in Michigan or Wisconsin, one of those kind of midwest, northern Midwest um, states, and it's a, it, it's not po- like poems, but the way he writes his poetry, mm-hmm. uh, and then it kind of expanded. And you know, he's right he's right there uh, among those people like John Muir and um, Gifford Pinchot, and you know, just if you get a chance, read his book. Yeah. He, he, he talks about like the um, the land grant ethic. It, you know, this is back in the '40s, by the way, and he's talking about this idea that. You know, right now, in order to to get conservation work done, we feel like we need to place a dollar value on it, and mm. there has to be some value gained. And and he makes this big argument that we, as a society, need to place the the idea that there needs to be an ethical value that the world needs conserving because it just should be. There doesn't need to be a reason assigned with it, but it just is something that's greater than us, and we need to ethically believe that it's something worth you know, putting money and resources into. Love it. Jotting that down for sure. Um, all right. Last one. And then I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Telekinesis. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching the, the WandaVision series right now. I am now. too. Yeah. So I think if I could move things with my mind, that would be pretty awesome. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it started a little slow, I have to say, and it's I, I like kind of liked it's it. Up. I, yeah, I liked it when it was in the oldies, and there was like a lot of mystery, and you didn't know what was happening. So I won't spoil it for anyone that maybe yeah. hasn't watched it yet. Yeah, it is good. Though. The One Division. Yeah, it's the new Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. It's on Disney. Uh, yeah, so I oh One Division. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny like, because my i was telling my wife the other day on my podcast where i was like i'm watching wandavision she's like wandavision <laughs> and i'm like yeah wandavision she's are you saying one division and then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, i just it's a new one direction yeah, I, yeah. Wonder, I, I woke up at three o'clock this morning and watched it <laughs> i haven't seen the new episode so don't spoil it sorry, I won't spoil me either okay. so <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Sean. Again, um, don't forget to make sure and check into these courses that are coming up. The Washington Forest Owners Winter School happening February 27th. And then also the Coach Planning Forest Short Course that will be happening March 29th through June 2nd. And of course, you can get all of the additional information and learn more about the WSU Forestry Extension Department at their website, which is forestry.wsu.edu. 
Thanks for being here, Sean. Thank you. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.